Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Adam Spinella is in the building. That's probably as loud as my voice is going to get throughout this entire podcast. Because as you might be able to tell, I'm a little bit nasally right now. I think that coming back from Las Vegas, being in all of that terrible recycled air and just air conditioning and just grossness that is Las Vegas. Apologies if you live there. It's genuinely my least favorite city on planet Earth because of all of this. Uh, As soon as I got back, my sinus has just completely exploded. And I think I have like a sinus infection right now. So Adam and I are going to go for like an hour today. We're going to talk mostly about how the rookie class performed at Summer League this year. A lot about Victor Weminyama, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, the Thompson Twins, Summer League MVP Cam Whitmore, folks. I, could, I I'm just ecstatic and elated about Summer League MVP Cam Whitmore. Wouldn't have been my pick. Let's be clear about that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But really, really excited about the fact that he won it and just shoved it in all of these NBA teams' face that way overthought this. Uh, this is indeed the Vicini infection game. We're going to see how this goes. I, I don't think we're going to go much longer than an hour here. We will try very hard, though, to keep you guys entertained. Adam, you are in, I believe, the basement of your grandparents' house right now. How are you doing? I am doing great, Sam. It's good to be back here. Been a, a good few weeks since we last connected here live on the show. Uh, I'm on, I guess, vacation right now and digging into my old wardrobe. I got the 2017 Santa Cruz Warriors playoff T-shirt here. So we are we are in the deep cuts this evening. And uh, like the Chicago Bulls in 1999, I have no mic. So hopefully I'm, I'm coming through loud and clear and uh, and we're doing all right. But you know what? Summer League was a lot of fun. We watched a lot of basketball. Sad I wasn't able to make it out to Vegas, but caught almost every game. Uh, feel really good about what we saw. I think this is going to be an overwhelmingly positive, like really, really happy podcast to be able to talk about some of these rookies. I think that's right, and we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later. I want to start with something Dan Lebitard said earlier today. He was comparing and contrasting the idea of what the package is that teams can present to the Portland Trailblazers for Damian Lillard. And I think that at the end of the day, we should probably be starting every episode of this podcast with at least an update on the Damian Lillard sweepstakes. If only because Damian Lillard is the most momentous trade chip out on the market and he's valuable and he's by far the biggest story in the NBA right now. Dan Lebitard basically was trying to compare and contrast the best player that you could get in a deal for Damian Lillard right now, seemingly. And he said basically that Tyler hero is better than Tyrese Maxey. He's just whiter than Tyrese Maxey. And I found it interesting. I don't really care about like the racial aspect of it. I care a lot more about trying to compare and contrast these two as value propositions in terms of their trade value. And I think what I've, come to is I do think it's a bad take to just like purely say Tyler Hero is a better asset than Tyrese Maxey. I'm willing to listen to an argument that Tyler Hero is a better player than Tyrese Maxey. 
I don't think I agree necessarily. I, I would rather have Maxi, but I'll at least hear out an argument and maybe I'll play devil's advocate if you particularly feel strongly about Maxi. But but the big key is like contract status here. And I think people are kind of missing the boat on that. So like if you were a team looking to trade Damian Lillard, let's say, and the best that you can do is get one of Tyler Hero or Tyrese Maxey. Which player would you prefer to have? I would probably go with Maxey. Why? Uh, a little, a little bit more faith in his speed, and a little bit more faith in the tape that I saw pre-draft of Maxey, where he at least showed that he could defend at the point of attack in some regard. It hasn't held up since he's gotten to the NBA in a lot of different ways, but I'm still clinging on to that feeling that I, I've seen his his competitiveness, the, the hardwired nature of his on-ball defense, at least have some positive impact before. I generally agree. I think the defense is a real differentiator. I don't think Maxi quite gets attacked as much as Tyler Hero does. Tyler Hero, like ends up being something of a magnet all the time. I do think that there is like a small chance that hero just being bigger. Like he's like in the six foot five to six foot six range. As he gets older, he's a high IQ player. I think there is a chance that you could make a case. Hero has a little bit more upside just due to the size in playoff settings defensively than what Maxi does, but Maxi's a better defender right now, like unequivocally. If I was crafting a case, I would rather have Tyrese Maxey. I want to be very clear about this. Like in general, as a player, I would rather have Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey's a drastically better catch and shoot player. Uh, you look at his numbers last year. I think he shot like an absurd, like 47% on catch and shoot threes, just like something crazy. Uh, I think Maxey fits a little bit better as an off ball player in general, like his ability to use his speed to play out and transition and attack at a high level is really valuable. His ability to play off the ball and play decisively without having to dance. Like if someone closes out on him heavy because he is like a 47% catch and shoot three point shooter, he's able to use that speed and get into the paint and use that floater game, use that ability to potentially finish at the rim at a fairly high level. Defensively, I think he's a little bit better as well. If I was going to craft a case for Hero, I think it'd be more based around the fact that I do think Hero's a better passer than Maxi is. I don't love Maxi's uh, playmaking ability. I think he is generally somebody that I feel a lot better playing off the ball and just like having him like read and react to what's happening around him as opposed to Hero, who like I, I feel okay in ball screens with Tyler Hero in general. I feel better in dribble handoffs with Tyler Hero with him like making decisions off of those uh, at a fairly high level. Tyler Hero, I think, averaged like four and a half, five assists per game last year, something like that. Something in the ballpark there. Also has a bigger role than Maxi. you know, plays on the ball sure. a little bit more than what Tyrese does, playing next to James Harden, playing next to Joel Embiid. I do think in a lot of ways, they're like both in perfect situations to accentuate what makes them good at the end of the day. Uh, Maxi being able to play off the ball, playing next to James Harden and Joel Embiid is really valuable. 
Hero having a little bit more on-ball ability for a team that needs that on-ball ability because they really only had J- uh, Jimmy Butler to be able to create in those circumstances. I think they both get accentuated at a high level. H- here's the big difference for me in terms of this. Tyrese Maxey has one more very cheap year left. Tyler Hero does not. Like Ty- Tyrese Maxey has a season on his contract that is – one year, I'm pulling it up as we talk, $4.3 million. Tyler Hero's on his four-year $120 million extension. Tyrese Maxey has not yet signed his extension. All that you hear when you talk to NBA teams is how frustrated they are with these deals like Jordan Poole's, like Tyler Hero's that are not good team friendly deals. Like the best case scenario is that they're properly paid. If they take another step and a half in terms of their games at $30 million, Uh, the worst case scenario is they're overpaid probably by like 12 million, you know, something in that ballpark. Maybe Jordan pool, like overpaid by more than that. Tyler hero, probably by like maybe 12 million, 10 million, something like that. I think Tyler hero is better than Jordan pool in general, but like, My point here is that there are real outcomes along the probability scale that Tyler Hero gets something like 4105, 4110, something in that ballpark. And on top of it, as you extend that further out, that window of the years that that contract, that second deal actually lives within, the salary cap is going to be rising within those years. So he's actually going to be an even lesser percentage of the cap than what Tyler Hero is going to be in those years. Maybe Maxi does get 4 120. But even so, it's still a better contract for Tyrese Maxi at 4 120 if you think they are equal players. Because his fourth year is in a year where the salary cap will be bigger and he thus will take on a smaller percentage of the cap than what Tyler Hero does. So to me, A, I would just rather have Tyrese Maxey as a player. B, I think Tyrese Maxey is like a is a more valuable asset by like a pretty real amount uh, as a player. Do, do you kind of fall in line with that? Yeah, I do. I think the percentage of the cap is a, a really important part of how you look at contracts. It's not just the, you know, the raw number of how much a guy is getting paid per year. It's how much does it hamstring the rest of your team in order to go out and get other good players. So, you know, 120 million over four years now looks a lot different than it will for the next four years. Uh, you know, with, with Maxi and and Hero for that matter, like I, I really like what you said earlier that it really depends on the context of the team that they're going to be playing on or the role that they're going to be asked to fulfill. Yeah. Yeah. I still think that there might be a little bit more untapped potential for a guy like Maxi to play with the ball in his hands just because he hasn't gotten that fully long leash in Philadelphia. You know, he yep. spends a lot of time deferring to James Harden or trying to feed the ball inside to Joel Embiid at different times. I do think that there's at least some, a little bit more there that he can show in a little bit higher of a role. But uh, at the end of the day, if you score 20 points a game, you're 
your contract is going to get boosted up and up and up. And for these smaller guards, like a lot of times that number is a little bit above probably what they're all worth. I think that's right. The other thing about Maxi is that I think generally Tyler Hero probably is the best playoff run between the two of them when Hero helped them to the NBA finals, right? Uh, in his rookie year. But since then, Hero's just kind of been so-so in the playoffs, obviously missed a substantial portion of the playoffs this year. Uh, the last two years, Tyrese Maxey's been really good in the playoffs, like really quite good. Uh, in 23 games, he has averaged 20.7 points while shooting 46-39-93 uh, in the playoffs with a two-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio. Like, I think that Maxey is just like a better bet at this point than hero is frankly uh, I get why people want to compare these guys because theoretically they could be the main centerpiece. Here's the other thing I want to talk about. And I'm very glad that Lasiri brought this up because this was my final point here in terms of what I wanted to finish on. Lasiri in the YouTube comments brings up. I just don't get why people want to keep talking about maxi hero to Portland when they already have that player in Simons. I agree. I don't totally know why. I get why, because this is potentially, these are potentially the two best players that Portland could theoretically end up with in such a deal. Portland also already has Scoot Henderson in addition to this, and they already have Shaden Sharp in addition to this. Shaden's a little bit bigger. You could imagine him playing the three pretty easily, I think. But they have Simons and Scoot, and that's like two smaller guards that, frankly, like I don't know if I want to play them both together, but you could certainly do it, and it'd be fine. Uh, if I'm trying to like build an ideal roster, I don't know if I want to play them together. But end of the day, it's hard to build an ideal roster in the NBA. Everybody is competing against one another, and if you're playing Simons and uh, Scoot together, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I, I don't. If if I'm Portland, I'm like trying to move both these guys to a third team. I think at the end of the day, yeah. uh, if this is the best asset that you can get, uh, I'd be trying to move both these guys to a third team. Yeah, I, I mean, Sam, a, a month ago, a little over a month ago, you and I sat here on the podcast right after the Denver Nuggets won the NBA championship and talked about how smart of a roster build they are and they don't have a guy under six foot five. Like you just, you can't collect a, a roster, even if they're individually talented guys it's really hard to win with multiple smaller players on your team. So I think that's a really good point about what Portland is building. We wouldn't take any of these guys over Scoot Henderson long-term. And I think trying to project, you know, the differences between them and Simons or their ability to coexist next to Scoot, it's just too many smaller guys in one spot. Uh, Woosh asks, if Cat were on the table, is he better than the other options? I would not want to trade for Carl Anthony Towns' contract if I am Portland. Just point blank i would not have interest in that uh and then people are bringing up simon's advanced numbers in general what i'll say is this i don't love anthony simon's defensively i don't think he's great he has not played in like anything resembling a solid defensive infrastructure the last two years and i would be intrigued at the very least to see what he looks like in a better infrastructure defensively, I think. Uh, and I also wouldn't take his like defensive, like, you know, EPM numbers as gospel. Uh, 
given the fact that Portland's defensive situation and, and given how many games he has played where they've been like kind of out of the picture a little bit, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take like the advanced defensive numbers as gospel on most of these guys, frankly, but particularly Portland because they've been in kind of a funky situation the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, so to close the loop on this, if I was Portland, I'd be handling this exactly the same way that Joe Cronin and company are. I get the impression that like Miami media people, you know, Levitard included, who I, I am an enormous fan of Dan Levitard. I think he's great. I, I just think that, you know, Miami media people need to kind of get in here for the long haul and understand that this might take some time and that they're probably need to more than anything. You know, he said, there's not calls going back and forth between Miami and Portland. What Miami needs to do is find a third team more than anything. Like I get it that there's not calls going back and forth between Miami and Portland. There need to be calls going back and forth between Miami and like somebody else that has real value uh, across the league for uh, what would be a rebuilding team moving forward in Portland. That, that that's where I get a little bit confused about it all. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is what's Portland going to do? They don't want any of the guys that Miami could offer straight up. If they did, they would have taken that deal already. So, like, hey, Pat, go call somebody else, man. Yep. Okay. Let's get into the rookies. All right. In general, I agree with what Adam said at the top of this show. I think the rookies were great. It's summer league, not just good. I thought they were outstanding. You look back through like historical context of like what rookies did numbers wise at summer league. This rookie class has been phenomenal in my opinion. I think they did an absolutely great job kind of across the board. Even guys like Brandon Miller, where there are concerns and justifiable concerns. I think there's very real reason to have real optimism moving forward about their situation. So as we talk about this, I do want to keep that at the forefront of the conversation. I think this rookie class in general has been awesome. What Brian Roby says in the YouTube comments, this class is just as deep as we were told. Hey, yeah, Adam, you and I, we told people this is a good class. We agree. Uh, Yeah, it's awesome it's a really, really good rookie class and I couldn't be more excited to talk about it. Let's talk about the guy that people were like disappointed with for 48 hours in Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> the way we're going to go through this, by the way, we're just going to talk about these guys uh, in the order they were drafted. And if a team had multiple picks, for instance, like we're going to get to Houston at number four, we will then include Cam Whitmore, you know, at the top with uh, Amon Thompson in order just to keep teams together. So people can kind of, you know, not have to zoom in and out of the show. Once you get to your team, you're going to be able to hear talk about your team basically. So, okay. Let's start with Victor Wembanyama. Victor Wembanyama uh, went two for 13 in his first game and people melted down. He then had 27 and 12 in his second game and like almost carried the Spurs back with like a 10 point fourth quarter and it was absolutely ridiculous. It was 
fantastic to watch him. I was in person for both games. I said this on the Athletic NBA show. I'll say it again. I thought that Vic was more tentative than I've ever really seen him. I've probably watched, God, 50 games of Victor Wembanyama plus at this point. Uh, genuinely, I think the number might be more. Uh, I've never seen him come out in a game more tentative than what he was in that first game. And even in the second game, I thought he was similarly passive. And then right around the five minute mark of the first quarter, he got a wide open mid range jumper and he switched it. And it felt like that burden, like on his shoulders kind of fell off completely and he could just go out and play. And then in the next 21 minutes, he went out and dropped like 25 points and was ridiculous. What were your overall impressions of Victor Wembanyama's two games in Las Vegas? So the overwhelming takeaways for me were watching that second game that he was playing in, which I believe was that that one was against Portland, if I'm, if I'm uh, correct. The the massive comeback that San Antonio mounted fully because of his presence defensively. Like he's going to be a very very special defender. We can nitpick the shooting numbers or how consistently he's knocking down shots from three right now. All we want. The defensive impact that Victor Wembanyama is going to have early on in his career is going to be pretty high, but the the ceiling is through the roof with that guy. Just as we all predicted, like he is going to be a massive defender at the NBA level. And, and the second thing for me is summer league. You rarely see people draw extra attention from scouting reports and game plans to be double teamed preemptively to have teams shadow and shade all the way to them when they catch the ball in the mid post area. Yep. It is an ultimate sign of respect that everyone else is kind of catering to what you could do your first and second game ever in summer league. And Victor Wembanyama received that type of attention. Like he, he didn't play perfect basketball in that first game was not, not the best showing of him that we could have seen, but my God are all of the signs of how everyone else that he shares a floor with treating him those signs scream superstar. Completely agree. I thought he was absolutely phenomenal uh, in the second game, particularly. Here's the thing in the first game. He went two for 13. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you Victor Wembanyama played well. He didn't play well. In that first game, do you know how many points per possession the Charlotte Hornets had? No, probably like, Point six, yeah, point six seven. Yeah, that was the lowest point per possession number of any game at Summer League this year. Any game at Summer League, Sacramento, Utah included, any game that has occurred in Las Vegas, that was the best defensive performance from any single team at that event. Hey. Might have something to do with the guy that's seven foot five with an eight foot wingspan standing in the middle. They they just like didn't even try and attack him. Like truly, they they had no desire to try and go in there on him, and it was ridiculous. Like he blocked five shots. The Hornets made forty three point three percent of their attempts within six feet of the basket in that game. And that includes uh, transition opportunities. Like he was insane defensively in that game like truly ridiculous completely changed the geometry of the court and look 
we can talk about how bad the Hornets are. We're going to talk about how bad the Hornets summer league team was in the next section. But that was a ridiculous performance, like a truly ridiculous defensive performance. And I think he probably did not get enough credit for the defense in the first game. The second game, I mean, look, like was totally ridiculous. Like, you know, made a three, made a couple mid-range jumpers, like lived at the foul line. Like Portland could not stay in front of him, could not stand in like proper guarding position, essentially. Like it, it was absurd trying them trying to like deal with him. Ibu Baji, hot take, uh, cannot guard Victor Wembenyama. I, I don't know if you knew that, Adam. It, it was a it was an awesome, awesome offensive performance. And I'll tell you this, man, like being in that crowd. I don't know if it's like the novelty of having not seen somebody that is like this before or just like the hype train. People like you and I having talked about Vic for as long as we have now going back and forth, breaking down, you know, basketball in the way that we have. Uh, with Victor Wimbanyama throughout the draft cycle. But man, people are excited to see this dude. Like the vibe in the arena was different for him. Like I I've, I was there for Lonzo. I was there for LaMelo I, or not for LaMelo. LaMelo didn't do summer league. Uh, I was there for Lonzo. I was there for Zion. I was there for uh, who, who else are the big ones? I'm trying to think. There are a few other like bigger uh debuts that we saw basically anytime the lakers had a high draft pick like i was there and it was a big deal because people come in from la to vegas in the arena like you can feel the energy you could feel it with the spurs like at summer league because of vic people want to see this dude they want this dude to succeed it's going to be really interesting to see like what the Spurs road game attendance looks like. I would bet it might be a little bit higher. Like it's going to be really interesting to see what the Spurs attendance looks like this year. I bet it's drastically higher. Like there is, there is a real buzz among like fans around Vic that people like truly care about this dude and like truly want to see him succeed. Yeah. And he's just laughable to watch like there's one play every game that's just laughable i've never seen anything like this before how do you stop it like it's he's he's comical in some regard the tips to himself for offensive rebounds always make me chuckle like what are you supposed to do with somebody that gargantuan and to top it off like he was he was really consistent in both games like defensively he had a great first performance and shut down the charlotte hornets and then the second game, like, he came out and, oops, he did it again. Like, he was great yep. the entire time in summer league. Yeah. I, I thought he was really quite good. Do you do you want to take a minute here and talk about your guy, CD? Because uh, I thought CD Sissoko was pretty interesting. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, uh, look, the shot, he's lost some confidence in that regard. I thought that he would have built up and developed a little bit more by this point and feel more comfortable. But – when the ball's in his hands, particularly in transition, he just makes fun things happen. He's such a smart basketball yeah. player, but he he is fearless. He is willing to drive his way head down through contact and get to the bucket. He makes smart decisions for others, and that guy is as competitive on the defensive end as we were hoping for. Like It, it is going to take yeah. maybe a little bit more time 
in the G League for him to tighten some of those jump shot mechanics and find a way to really have an off-ball role in the NBA. But he is a he is a real dude. He is a real dude. Look, the shooting is going to determine to me whether or not he's a real dude or not. But defensively, there is a lot there. Like in person, you can really see like he is big. He is very quick defensively. Like it's all there. You can see the tools in a big way. Uh, I would imagine he'll spend most of his year in the G League this year, like just straight up. I I think that's the right call. He needs to develop the confidence in the jumper. They need to do so much work on that thing. It it looks different every time at this point coming out of his hand. Uh, The trajectory is different. The release point is different. He needs a lot of time in the G League, I think, to get that thing going. But there's enough there to where I feel like this has a chance to be a hit for them in the second round. For sure. Love that, Sam. I love that for you. Okay. Let's go to the Hornets. Brandon Miller, the number two overall pick. I want to start it here. Brandon Miller had to play on what is, in my opinion, one of the worst summer league rosters I've seen. Uh, You have to remember that a lot of these guys for the Hornets are very young like first and second year players after coming off of one and done years, right? Uh, Nick Smith was playing a lot of point guard. If you take away like the 33 point like outburst he had, which I believe was also against Portland. I saw that game live and I was just sitting there next to uh, a good friend of the program and just like cackling, watching Nick Smith, like go off. If you take away that, 33 point game where you just had like the crazy second half Nick Smith averaged nine points and three assists while shooting 27% from the field. You don't want to take away like the big flash moment, but it was not great for Nick Smith having to play point. Amari Bailey uh, averaged eight points, shot 40% from the field and had a one to three assist turnover ratio. James Booknight was out there shooting. He was, he was out there just going for it. Uh, Kai Jones doesn't really look like an NBA player to me if I'm being completely honest. Uh, But you have all these guys that are first round picks that you have real investment in. And you're like trying to figure out who they are. You're trying to figure out what you have in them. And frankly, you're probably empowering them on some level to take shots. For the Hornets to build this roster the way they did, I thought was egregiously bad. Uh, They brought in only one veteran like real pass first point guard it was justin robinson uh former virginia tech point guard uh definitely like a pass first guy the problem is justin robinson tore his meniscus uh in i believe october of last year like a pretty bad one uh in the nbl and i believe has not really played competitive like basketball since then like he didn't return like at any point uh during the season in the nbl so you're looking at a situation where your veteran point guard is like getting the cobwebs out and like getting the rust off a little bit early on. You really needed to have another body there. They also brought in Kobe Simmons. Look, Kobe Simmons played really well in that last game of theirs. And he had like eight assists, maybe like one or two turnovers. I thought he played quite well. 
Kobe Simmons like inclination is not to be like a pass first guy. Like in the other three or in the other two games he played, he had three assists total. Right. So there was never a point here where I felt like the Hornets with the personnel they had on the court were ever going to get guys like Brandon Miller or Nick Smith or whoever easy shots. Nick Smith was playing point. Nick Smith is not a point guard. Uh, Brandon Miller had to create everything. And there's one thing I want to talk about a little bit later that is concerning there, but Brandon Miller had to create everything. There was just never, there's never any organization uh, with this team. They had, they averaged, or no, they had under one point per possession in all of their first six games at Summer League, which is horrendous. Their last game was the only one they got over one point per possession. And it was the game where like all of Brandon Miller, Nick Smith, Kai Jones, I think Book Knight sat. Like it was, it was a game where all their guys who don't pass sat. And you know what happened? They ended up with 34 assists on 39 buckets in that game. There was just never any organization. I put it on the front office. I kind of put it on the coaching staff. Like it, it was, it was horrendous basketball watching the Charlotte Hornets. And that's why I don't want to overreact to what we saw from Brandon Miller in any way, shape or form. This was one of the worst built rosters you could build to accentuate Brandon Miller's gifts. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a, a ton to add for that. I think summer league in general with short practice time with guys going out there and trying to prove things for themselves, it doesn't lend well to guys who pop in systems or schemes. It doesn't lend well to guys who always make the right basketball play. And sometimes the ball doesn't get returned to them in different forms or fashions. You know, Brandon Miller for, you know, the playmaking that he had to endure still had a positive assistant turnover ratio. And just didn't get enough easy baskets created for him, which I think made the flaws of his game and the areas where he might struggle to get easy looks for himself really just had a a brighter spotlight on that than it should have. And that comes in some regard to to roster construction and the, the guards that were on this Charlotte Hornets roster. It reminded me a lot of watching the Houston Rockets this past year with Jabari Smith a guy who was just begging for some guards to understand how to get him the basketball in an area where his three-point shooting would really pop. And they didn't run a lot of sets for him there, and he was just waiting for Jalen Green or Kevin Porter Jr. to figure that out. That's what this summer league experience for Brandon Miller felt like in some regard, that when he had the ball in his hands, he showed some good things, he showed some not-so-great things. But he didn't get enough – involvement off ball because no one else really knew or figured out or prioritized how to put him in a position to succeed. I think that's right. Uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about is just generally like this archetype of player, like the Brandon Miller, big wing archetype. These guys tend not to play well in their first summer league. Uh, statistically, if you look back, Brandon Ingram averaged 12 points and shot 41% from the field in his first summer league. Paul George averaged 15 points and shot 33% from the field in his first summer league. Andrew Wiggins shot 50 or averaged 15 points, shot 40%. Jalen Brown averaged 16 points, shot 
like you can go back through history and you can see that these guys, they just tend not to like pop in this environment. Uh, Brandon Miller needs to get stronger. The thing he needs to do more than anything is move without the ball. He does not move without the ball. And it's been a problem since he was at Alabama. I wrote about it in the draft guide. Does not move without the ball. And in five games that he played at Summer League, if I remember correctly, I think he played five. Had zero shots or turnovers off of cuts. At Alabama, I think all year he had like nine. It was ridiculous. Like the guy does not move without the ball uh, nearly enough. A lot of his like off screen actions are off of like little mini flare actions. It tends to be Uh, has to improve moving without the basketball. Again, like this Hornet situation is a fucking train wreck and you don't want to like, you know, put too much on that. But we saw it last year as well at Alabama that he's not really all that active, like coming off of screens, running around and to get the most out of his skill set as a shooter, as a big wing, I would like to see him move a little bit more. I think that's a very fair critique. And again, it goes back to, you don't have a ton of time to get everything installed system wise for summer league, but you can't just roll the ball out there and let things fall where they may. Not when you have a really important piece like Brandon Miller you need to see positive progression from yeah like the team that did the best job of this and look i always talk about how good of a job i think the memphis grizzlies do but like the memphis grizzlies did a fucking phenomenal job they brought in both jacob gilliard and frankie ferrari do you know what jacob gilliard and frankie ferrari do they pass the shit out of the ball they run ball screens perfectly like they do a great great job of getting everybody involved in the flow of the offense. You know what the Kings did? Another, by the way, smart front office, the Sacramento Kings. We haven't been able to say that often, but I want to say it now. They're smart front office. They bring in Jordan Ford. Jordan Ford, awesome playmaker, unselfish, willing to shoot when he has to, but like just a good small guard that gets everybody in motion, everybody in flow. If you have to give one of these guys an exhibit 10 and give them 70 grand to go play, do it please you're going to get rewarded in every way, shape and form by doing this. If you have a high draft pick that you want to see like in real competent offensive sets, the Hornets particularly, but anybody like the Hornets were the example this year, I would implore teams like really go out and find those veteran guards who play unselfishly and give your guys a real chance real quick. Let's finish on the Hornets. They have three other draft picks. Uh, Nick Smith, I thought the explosion against the Blazers was amazing. Like that was phenomenal. Some of the moves he showcased, some of the twitchiness, some of the like overall flexibility I thought he showed to create separation was really impressive. But the process is still really bad. And you saw it in the other three games where, again, he averaged, you know, nine points and shot something in the 30s, I think even 27% or something like that from the field. Like it it was quite bad. The process for Nick Smith is very hard. And he's just going to have to be one of those guys that makes tough shots. And that's why he went later, I think. Yeah. uh, You know, the tantalizing upside you see for one half of a game, it it doesn't overshadow what you have to go through in order to get there, which is living with all the other painful quarters where he's still trying to feel his way through things. 
What did you think of James Najee? Solid flashes on defense. Rebounded pretty well. He's, you know, you can tell he's played and experienced meaningful games with other pros before. I think that that was one of the takeaways that I had from watching him play for Charlotte. Like he knew where to be, seemed to be decent with how he communicated and and quarterbacked the defense in some regard. But again, when you're a screen and roll big and you're playing with guards who aren't proficient passers, your offense is just really going to stagnate. Yeah, agree. Uh, And then finally, Amari Bailey. Not very impressed. I I really actually quite liked him in the first stop of their summer league, which I think was in Sacramento, if I remember correctly. Uh, I did not like what I saw in Las Vegas. I thought he was quite poor. Uh, Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to dive into the rest. Okay, we're back. Let's talk Scoot Henderson and the Portland Trailblazers. The thing I want to call out with Scoot, because I've seen a lot of very strong takes, and look, I'm going to be like overwhelmingly positive about Scoot as well, because look, it's one of those deals when you see it, you know it. Like truly, the way that he dictated the tempo of the game is like expert level veteran guard kind of stuff, except he's also a brick shit house that has like an immense first step and like can keep anybody on his back at all times. Like there's a play where Nate Hinton like played denial and like Nate Hinton is like big. He's like mm-hmm. six foot five, 215, 220 pounds wing, physical, strong, like He's not in the NBA because uh, not because of his defense. Like Nate Hinton is a good defender at every level he's ever played. And Scoot Henderson gets denied. They inbound the ball to repair. Repair. Scoot just goes after the denial, catches the ball. Hinton's trying to recover, trying to get around him, using his length, using his like size to try and get around him. And Scoot just keeps him in jail. But the whole time he keeps him in jail, he's actually covering forward ground. Like, it's not like I'm just, like, keeping this guy in jail and not moving forward. I'm keeping this guy in jail while still being able to, like, cover ground and cover court and take up space and get into the paint. And then eventually he just takes this, like, enormous long stride extended forward and gets all the way to the rim and makes this, like, inside hand finish. And it's just, like, this is shit where... There are NBA guards who can't do that. Like Darius Garland, like I love him. He's just not like big enough to do that against guys like that, right? Like Darius Garland's incredible and Darius Garland is a better shooter. He's better, you know, in a number of things than Scoot Henderson is. And there are just certain things that you see with Scoot where it's like, oh, like there are like five guards in the league that could do that. Like truly. They're like that that is like Anthony Edwards type shit right there that we're watching uh except oh wait scoot through two of the most absurd like offhand left hand cross corner kickouts like while he was up in the air that i've seen at summer league like in the last five years that i've been 
watching it or whatever last eight years like it's the feel for the game it's the creativity it's all of it kind of mixed together with him while also being so strong while having that explosive first step while also just understanding how to play at tempo like this dude is a star like I, i think straight up he is a star and everything we saw in his 21 minutes before he hurt his shoulder, I think said otherwise or said the same exact thing we've been saying throughout the process. Yeah. The it factor is really what it, what it comes down to with Scoot Henderson. Like he's got it. And it's, we talked about this throughout the draft cycle after watching the ignite versus metropolitans game early in the season, he had that intuitive feel for how and when to try to take over a game. And I think beyond that, like that's what great players have, but they also have a feel for like the narrative in some regard. And like, this felt like Sue Henderson coming out with a fuck you game. It just felt that way in summer league that he, he knew he was going to come out and just prove everybody that didn't think he was the second best player or even the best player in this draft wrong and come out and just completely take over and own that game. And he looked so damn good for those minutes that he was out there for Portland. That was, to me, that was the highlight of the game, of any game that we saw this this summer, was that opening contest between the, the Blazers and the Rockets. That was so much fun. Oh, it was by far. It was by far the best game at Summer League. It was so funny. Like, that was the best game at Summer League, and then the Spurs-Hornets game was the worst game at Summer League. Like, we got them both back-to-back. Uh, it was so funny to, to like see the way that like the energy drained from the crowd uh, by the middle of the second quarter, even after we just watched Jabari Smith drain like a 30 footer to yeah. win that uh, Rockets Blazers game. It was pretty funny. Uh, th- the other thing about Scoot that I, I kind of just want to note before maybe we move on. I, there's probably a little bit more to talk about than that. Like, he did this against undeniably the most athletic team at summer league and like the best team at summer league, frankly, in Houston, right. With all of their dudes, like he got switched on to Tari Eason multiple times and he was good. Like it didn't matter. It was, it was fine. Tari six, eight, seven, two wingspan, enormous hands. Like he's good. It's all good with them. Uh, Jabari Smith is big six ten seven one wingspan. Didn't matter. Jay Huff won the defensive player of the year in the G League last year. Like Jay Huff's like actually a good defender. Didn't matter. Cam Whitmore led summer league in steals. I think he averaged like three and a half per game. Didn't matter. Like Amen Thompson was his primary point of attack defender. Six, seven, seven foot wingspan. One of the most electric athletes you'll ever watch play basketball. Scoot got wherever he wanted. Like that is a more athletic team that he will face mostly on a day-to-day basis in the NBA. And it, it was just good. He was all good. He's truly all good. And I, I don't know, man, like I'm, I, I'm in like totally, I, I was in before this, but like those 21 minutes, it was just like, Oh yeah. Like this is going to be great. The six assists were the ridiculous number to me. Like he had, he, he uh, he played 21 minutes and he, I think was responsible per synergy for like 33 points created uh, in the game. Jamari Smith like scored like 37 points and played 31 minutes. Like 
no other player was responsible for more offense than Scoot Henderson was in that game. Despite the fact that Scoot only played like 20 minutes. It was absurd. It was completely ridiculous. He was absolutely incredible, unbelievable. Uh, and I couldn't be more excited to watch him play more this year. Love Scoot, man. It's just, uh, I wish we got a little bit more from him, but I'll be honest, like even if he didn't get his shoulder banged up a little bit, I have a feeling he would have been shut down pretty shortly after that. Like he, he doesn't belong yeah. on a summer league court. I think it would have been two games would have been the same as uh, Vic. I, honestly, like I think the impression I got was like probably could have played, but they just kind of were like, we've seen enough. <laughs> yeah. we've we've seen enough in 20 minutes okay uh let's go to i guess let's finish on the blazers real quick yeah. uh chris murray looked fine like looked fine. like a guy that will be able to step into a rotation off the bench this year and will be good yep yeah and then rayon repair like had a couple of moments of defensive and act like real activity that he showed I thought his hustle was really the standout thing for me and watching him play, but like, he's just, he's going to be farther away offensively it is what it is. Yeah. He's a multi-year project defensively yep. is where I'm at. Like truly a, like it will take a couple of years, I think for him to figure it out defensively, he'll be able to play, but I, I don't think he'll actually be able to get on the court because the offense is uh, a bit rough. Okay. Next up the team that Portland played in that scoot game, the Houston Rockets. The Houston Rockets were the best team I saw at Summer League, point blank. Uh, I've talked a lot on the previous podcast that I'm like sick. Like, did I do that with you? Did I do it with somebody else? I don't remember. Who knows? We talked about, on the last episode of the show, we talked about Jabari and Tari. Uh, I think there's a real case that those were probably outside of like Scoot and Vic and like, you know, whatever you want to call them. I thought Jabari and Tari were the two best players I saw at summer league. Uh, along with Chet, uh, I would say Jabari, Tari and Chet were probably the three that I saw. And I was just like, these guys belong nowhere near this court. They are way too good. Let, let's just move on. And like with Jabari, you want to get them the reps. You want to get them going as much as you can. Right. Like I get it, but with Jabari and Tari, I thought they were phenomenal, but I've talked about them already. Let's talk about Amen Thompson to start. Amen only played one game very similarly to Scoot Henderson, rolled his ankle and ended up sitting out the rest of the summer league. I thought he was great. Yeah. The athleticism is outrageous. The two plays that stood out for me with him were he had these two just ridiculous first step drives where he just completely blew by everybody used that like enormous length extension to be able to get there and took like an inside hand, left-handed finish. It was absurd. Brian K brings up J dub was the best player in summer league. Yeah. He played like one game uh, in Utah, if I remember correctly. And it was just like, he had 20 points at halftime and it was like, why the fuck is this guy playing? (laughs) Agree. Jalen Williams was phenomenal. Uh, But Jabari Smith, I think, or uh, Amen Thompson, I think, was quite good. We saw the passing flashes. He had a couple, especially. He got really comfortable, I thought, in the third quarter before he got hurt uh, and really started to show some of the passing flashes that we all expected to see. Everything I saw from Amen Thompson was what I'd hoped to see. 
and I am excited to watch more. 100%. Uh, you know, he had an intriguing floater that he was able to get to in the mid-range area too, which I want to make sure we we note a little bit because that was a Big critique. Call. That was a critique that you and I kind of had of his game in the pre-draft process. There wasn't much in between that he either plays 100 miles an hour towards the rim and it's breathtakingly fast or he's kind of dribbling around being a little bit slower. He has to get to a pull-up jumper to have that runner or just that in-between game that he flashed, even in the smallest of ways, I think was really encouraging. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that runner. I was like actually kind of surprised when he made that. Like yeah. I was like, wait, you can do that now? And he can. And the fact that he can do it now is huge. Uh, Brian Roby brings up the block from a standstill oh, on a yeah. driving Shaden Sharp. It's just like the stuff him and Asar can do athletically. And we'll talk about Asar next. But like the level they are at athletically is obscene. It is completely absurd. They're nuts. They they are are absolutely nuts. And look, it was it was one game of a man. Like I thought, he looked really really strong. Was was glad to to see him get those reps in there. There were so many guys on that Houston Rockets team that it did feel like a positive for everybody that they kind of cycled through different guys and like progressively shut people down so that you yep. could see more and more and more from everybody else. They still have so many young bodies but it didn't matter what game it was or which players were on the court. I thought the Rockets had a real consistent defensive identity and were really pressuring and using their athleticism for the best. Loved to see that here in summer league. Like if there's one long-term positive takeaway from what we have with the Houston Rockets, yeah, you can pinpoint individuals and how they played and how they fared and be really thrilled with it but collectively how all of these athletic pieces are going to fit under Ime Yudoka and, and what their coaching staff has in mind. Like this is going to be a fun, pressuring, aggressive team that probably develops a defensive identity rather quickly. The Just the guy that stands out most in regard to like the scheme and just like their overall competence at Summer League maybe is the way to put it, is Matthew Mayer. Like yes. Matthew Mayer in three games has dropped 14 and seven. He's shooting 38% from three on like seven, three points, three point attempts yes. per game. I guess like you would kind of expect Matthew Mayer to be successful in a situation like this. But like if Matthew Mayer is coming in and just cannon threes, like it's nobody's business. Yeah. We probably got a pretty competent scheme here and we, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of confident play going on with the Houston Rockets and, and they deserve a lot of credit. I think they deserve a ton of credit for, you know, Ben Sullivan did a great job as their coach. Like I I think that they ran like really competent stuff. And also like they were just so much more athletic than everybody, which is the whole thing of what they've been building. Like they've been building these ridiculously athletic front lines and backcourts and wings and everything. And speaking of ridiculously athletic summer league MVP, Cam Whitmore folks. We're back. The amount of shit that I got from people for ranking Cam Whitmore in the top five when he goes 20, I still felt great about it. Cause you know why? Like I've talked about, like I've done the Intel, like I've done all the research into it. Like I would still have him in the top five easy. I have no real concerns because guys like this who are as athletic and powerful and physical as Cam Whitmore is, they tend not to fail 
when they are this productive as teenagers. Uh, Cam Whitmore is six foot seven with like reasonable length. He is about as bouncy and springy and powerful as you will find. He is fine defensively. Like that's always been the thing. I think people were like, oh yeah, this guy like doesn't want to be out there defensively. Like doesn't care. No, he's like pretty good defensively. Like he's willing to fight and scratch and claw, especially on the ball. Like Cam Whitmore is good. Period. Would I have voted him MVP? No, I probably like, look, the best players I saw at summer league again, were probably Jabari, Tari and Chet. Uh, If you made me pick a guy that played like a lot of games at summer league, I think I would have picked Sam Merrill to be honest is the MVP. But I, I, I don't think it's like an unreasonable selection to have Cam Whitmore. If you're looking for somebody that played a bunch of games and was like ridiculously productive, Cam Whitmore is absolutely a monster. Like he's truly a monster. I know. I know, Sam. I know. Cam, Cam Whitmore did not turn 20 or did not. I'm sorry. No. Cam Whitmore did not turn 19 until Summer League started. I like, look, I've gone through like the list of summer league MVPs. I can't imagine there's ever been a younger summer league MVP than Cam Whitmore. I mean, he just turned 19, like literally last week. Everything that I have seen from Cam Whitmore says to me, this guy is going to be really good. Like, look, there, there are holes here. We're not going to sit here and pretend like he was across the board. Great. But in five games, he's averaged 20.4 points, 5.6 rebounds, 2.4 assists, three steals per game. And he started the tournament at fucking 18 years old. This dude's a dude. This is a dude, Cam Whitmore. I don't know. Like, I'll ask you this. How much do you think Cam Whitmore plays this year? Oh, I I think after this performance, they're going to want to carve out at least 8 to 15 minutes a night within that rotation for him. Try to let him be active, be energetic on defense, see if he can create a spark for you. Um, I don't see him really cracking the rotation too much ahead of that just because they've got enough other competent bodies at those positions. Went out and signed Dylan Brooks. Jabari and Tari are two guys that we talked about just a little bit better and ahead of him in the pecking order right now. Um, I think he's fringe rotation, like a guy who should be getting consistent minutes. Yeah. Like I I think he probably could play in the NBA next year. I think it's just going to require like somebody getting hurt in their rotation. Like I would imagine Jay Sean Tate is probably like, a more impactful guy as a bench player next year than Cam Whitmore. But also like there's a chance that Cam Whitmore is just so athletic that it doesn't matter. And you have to play him. You you just kind of have to play him. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's kind of similar to Tari Eason last year. Like I thought Tari Eason like might have a little bit of a runway before he played. But at the end of the day, like motor and athleticism won out, right? I think Cam 
is probably like a level behind right now. Tari, I guess I would say, just in terms of Tari's a little bit longer. I think he's better defender. Yes. His motor is like Tari's motor is just absurd. But Cam's motor was good throughout summer league. Like it was quite good. He played hard the whole way. The thing with Cam is that he is like a shot maker and scorer more than anything right now. And there were a lot of moments at summer league where it was like missed reversals stood, did the typical Cam Whitmore thing, which is stop and survey. I'm going to take like the right-handed dribble. I'm going to cross over to the left. I'm going to hezzy in. I'm going to get to the step back and try and shoot the three. Like there was a lot of that. Like we're not going to sit here and pretend like he was perfect. He was far from perfect at summer league, but like being able to create shots at the level he was being able to create, pull up threes, being able to create shots at the basket, being able to just drive to the rim and get there even a lot of the time. Yeah. I I am. uh, I I have seen nothing that makes me go jump off of my uh, Kim Whitmore is going to be like a top five guy in this draft class take. Sure. He looked very good because his athleticism pops and he's just that imposing of a player once he gets downhill. Like, does he still have more tunnel vision than Kodak Black? Like, absolutely. He's got to find ways to become a little bit better passer, particularly on the move. Like, once he starts dribbling, you know exactly what he's going to do. And he's pretty... Oh, pretty, totally. pretty, he's pretty rigid in his decision making as soon as he gets going. Like, those are things long-term that have to improve, but even though we didn't see those improvements this early, it's so nice to know that he's going to be an impactful player regardless, just because he's that damn good of an athlete. Like it definitely translates. It a hundred percent translates. I, I just want to note as well, uh, cause I found this a little bit funny. So Cam Whitmore attempted seven shots per game at summer league at the rim. Uh, Brandon Miller in his five games, I think attempted 11 total at the rim uh, in summer league. If you reduce this to half court, uh, Cam Whitmore attempted, I think it was 19, whereas Brandon Miller attempted like eight or something at the rim. Like it's, it's just a different deal. Uh, and on top of that, like, you know, he shot better at the rim than what Brandon Miller did too. Like he shot 63% at the rim in half court settings. So yeah, tunnel vision on drives, you know, needs to improve as a passer. Also averaged two assists per game this year, or, you know, 2.4. He had 12 assists uh, for the Houston Rockets at Summer League after having 19 assists in 26 games for Villanova this year. I, I think that it was just a bad situation at Villanova. I really do. And I think people way overthought it. And Cam Whitmore's a good basketball player, and I feel good about where I'm at on him. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I know this firsthand, but Cam Whitmore good at basketball yes you do uh yes you do okay okay folks we're gonna call it there on the first half of this deep dive into the rookies at the 2023 nba summer league if you want to watch the full video right now you can go to youtube if not and you want to wait for the podcast version it'll be out tomorrow uh It's just this episode ended up being so long that it felt right to split it into two separate episodes on the audio side. If you want to watch the full version of it right now, go to YouTube. 
That's the easiest way to do it. Otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow with the second half, breaking down all of the many rookies who performed at the 2023 Summer League. Until next time, we'll talk soon.